Hi everybody, I'm Chase Raz, and this is episode 3 of Multi New Media for the week of March 9th, 2015. With me today is Christopher Woodward. Hi Christopher, how are you? I'm doing good, Chase. Uh, well, you're doing good so far today anyway. Doing pretty good as we were talking before the show. Um, episode 3 here is, is has been marred by technical difficulty so far, but hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get through it. So, Christopher, uh, the audience knows that we had a co-host on last week named Chris. Uh, you are not that Chris. I want you to introduce yourself because uh, I don't want people to get confused between Chris and Christopher. So you're Christopher Woodward, and who is Christopher? I guess you could say I'm kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades in the media world. Uh, I've been involved both in business and entertainment industry for about 17 years. Uh, I've been involved in all forms of traditional media, television, radio, newspapers, and extensively in new media. Currently, I'm a professor at Full Sail University, where I've taught a number of finance, history, and technology courses. And I'm also involved as a forecaster and data analyst uh, in the housewares industry. So I guess you could say I have an extremely varied background, but it all ties back, as most things do, to technology and uh, what can make my life more organized and easier. Today, we've we've decided to talk about uh, three very important companies to that technology aspect, Microsoft, Apple, and Google. And um, just wanted to kick this conversation off with asking, do you use devices or technologies or services from any of these three companies? No, that would be a yes, a yes, and a yes. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in this day and age, obviously people have uh, companies, uh, especially in the, in the tech world, where they say, you know, I'm a Microsoft guy, I'm an Apple guy. But inevitably, you end up kind of dipping your toe into all the pools. And you end up using, ultimately, what's best for you. Uh, and I think the way, you know, the tech world is looking at things now, you know, these are the, kind of the big three especially in uh, in North America and other technologically advanced places. But when you kind of break down the companies, uh, what they actually are kind of making the most money at and what has been most successful for them uh, is very different across the board. So when you say you you use all three of these, do you actively use all three or have you in the past used all three? I would say within the last half hour, I've used all three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're we're on the same page there. It's going to be all the way across the board. We're we're used to these uh, we're used to these companies. Yeah, I think you know again when you look at how people view Microsoft, Apple, Google, and what it comes down to is you know what are they making their money? At? What what what's the popular things that they're producing that people are actually using? Um, and and to start, just we'll start with Microsoft. Um, Microsoft, obviously, Windows. Uh, you know, Windows is the dominant contributor to the money that's coming into Microsoft right now. Uh, things have changed. They've had some of their other, uh, you know, revenue streams pick up, cloud services, things like that. Um, is the company as dependent on Windows as it once was? No. But at the same time, uh, if for some reason the, the PC world were to have a sharp decline, it would have a huge impact on Microsoft. Windows is still the bread and butter of Microsoft. Yeah, and we see, we've seen uh, a decline, and, and re relatively sharp decline as well, in the PC world, but some rebound uh, has been happening there, or at least we've, we've bottomed out, we think, of what's happening in the PC world. That PC decline has spilled over into tablets, where tablets recently, in, in the last quarter, 
Q4 of 2014, they had their first uh, decline in sales. Uh, so PCs were affected. Tablets seem to be affected now, but at least we've hit bottom there. So Windows um, definitely being one of the core areas of Microsoft, along with enterprise customers and office customers. But with Windows, since we're starting with Microsoft, this is probably the, the thing that we should view as Microsoft's baseline because the focus from Microsoft right now seems to all be about Windows 10. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's funny, just to get back to your point about the tablets, we're seeing a decline in that. I, I think, again, the advancements in, in mobile technology and more and more people looking at a tablet and going, I'd rather do it on my phone is kind of what's uh, led to the tablet decline. Um, you know, Windows, it, it's interesting. If you talk to the layman, not the tech expert, but rather the person who is just using Windows because they have to use something, I almost feel like there's still this like ghost, this shadow of Windows Vista in the background for some people. And whenever Windows is about to introduce something new, there's always that, well, remember Vista? Remember Vista? And no matter how, how much further we get away from it, there's always that, ooh, I hope Windows doesn't mess things up this time around, uh, which is hilarious given how you know fantastic most of the uh, the Microsoft issues have been. So uh, I'm looking forward to Windows. I, you know, again, I I would I define myself as a, a PC person, probably. So as a result, maybe I'm a little more excited for uh, Windows than some people might be. You know, I think from the tech side, developers, consumers, really everybody on the tech side, and a lot of people on the media side uh, are very excited. So. Here's the idea of, of what you were mentioning before about people being um, or sticking with this Vista concept. Windows Vista was not the best operating system, and I think everyone, Microsoft included, would admit that. We also have another stigma with Microsoft about Internet Explorer. If we go back to the XP days when um, Internet Explorer 6 came out, heavy use of ActiveX, which uh, we were talking about on the show last week, uh, all of these potential security flaws, so many problems with Microsoft throughout the early 2000s seem to really still be biting into their tail end right now. But what consumers may not know is that just recently, and this has happened several times in a row, uh, Windows was named yet again the most secure operating system. And that even includes comparing against different Linux varieties that are out there, different Linux distros. And as we move into Windows 10, the focus of Microsoft seems to be how do we take this thing that is a phone, this thing that is a tablet, the combination between of a phablet and a laptop and a convertible and a two-in-one and a desktop PC, how do we take all of these things and power them with the same engine and get the same type of experience so that when somebody says, you know, I'd rather do this on my phone, that they can actually do it and not have to hunt down some companion app that has limited functionality. And on the other side, Microsoft is focused on developers. If you can get developers to come back to Windows, that will be key. And one of the best ways to do that is to be able to say, listen, if you want to develop once, you develop one application and it will run on a phone, a tablet, a laptop, a PC, and they're even throwing in the Xbox into that one. And I think that's going to get a lot of developers because Xbox applications have historically been a minimum of $100,000 to $150,000. And Microsoft, even at that level, suggested that say your company wanted an Xbox app that you just have Microsoft build it because of some of the challenges uh, that exist in that space. So opening up the the, the playing field uh, for developers essentially 
Uh, one might have to have to ask how long until Microsoft says, "Oh, and by the way, we'll publish to Android and iOS as well." Yeah, it, I think it's it's inevitable it will happen because, again, if if you look at it from and again from a targeting developers, but people want that synchronization between their devices without having to alter things. You know, uh, if you look at successful apps for phones, uh, apps like Evernote. And, and I know we'll talk about Google in a little bit, but Google Play and things that you can carry over from your phone to your tablet to your PC to another PC with no fuss, no issues. That's what people want. People want ease of use. And unfortunately, I think sometimes that gets lost in translation to some people. But ease of use goes a long way to developing brand loyalty amongst customers. Absolutely. So to sort of wrap up Microsoft's section here, uh, another good point that you mentioned Evernote, and that can be applied back to Microsoft as well. Sometimes Microsoft hasn't been the first to a space. They haven't been the first to reach, um, they, they really didn't um, get the full concept of mobile computing. Now, let's be fair to them when it comes to mobile computing. Microsoft was there well before uh, Apple was. They were there, you could argue that they were there even before Google existed as a search engine only from 1999 on. Microsoft has been in that space for a very long time, but we get this perception that they're not in a particular place. And so I'm uh, personally, I use OneNote over Evernote, and it's it's kind of funny to me. People talk about Evernote, and I, I have this thought in the back of my mind of, oh yeah, that thing's still around, you know? Um, just the, the miscommunication between Microsoft with the rest of the world. That may be their biggest challenge going forward, but we talked about their strength, which is this massive innovation and this ability to understand technology at the core of what consumers want. Again, admittedly, not having that ability a decade or so ago, but the rest of Microsoft's history has been very much in favor of understanding what the consumer wants, whether that's the home user or the enterprise or the small business user. Um, on that note, speaking of Evernote, uh, where I first was introduced to Evernote was on Google's Android operating system. So let's let's switch and talk about Google for a moment. What's what's your take on Google at the present? If, if, if you had to say how Google's performing right now, Christopher, what words would you use? Here, here is the... the the issue, for, I mean, obviously, financially, Google is doing just fine <laughs> and dandy. Um, but if you look at it, it's always been about advertising with Google. You know, it, always. it's always yeah. a massive case of pulling in, you know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars from advertising. And then everything else is just a, really a slight line, uh, almost to the point that if you're looking at an annual report, uh, it, it would be shocked if you know it's kind of here's what we're making from advertising, and we're making some money from Google Play, but you know they're kind of they're they're dabbling in hardware, uh, Google Apps, the business version of uh, Gmail and Google Docs. None of this, uh, their cloud services and infrastructure, um, all of these different pots that they're trying to to stir up a little bit. None of them have ever really becomes so uh, fruitful to the company that it's taken away from their core, which is advertising. Now, granted, I know, I guess maybe starting in like 2012, 2013, they did see more revenue, especially from Google Play, than some of these other areas. But again, with Google, it's still all about the advertising. And again, when you look at it and, and bringing it back to that idea of the common man, uh, the common man thinks of Google, they think search engine. 
and, and some people don't even realize that Google's involved in other areas. Um, they are the Coca-Cola of search engines, which again, not a bad thing to be when you're trying to make money. Well, with, with Google Play specifically, um, some numbers that I saw back in 2014 uh, were really damning to Google Play. So if we take a look at Android, which has roughly 80% global market share in the smartphone space, and we compare the revenue from the Google Play market on phones with Windows, the Windows Phone Store, Windows Phone globally is about 3 to 4% market share. They're about equal. They're within a couple of hundred thousand dollars of each other. So you have the player that has, we'll, give them, we'll generously give them 4% market share in Windows Phone versus 80% market share in Android, uh, Google Play, and they're making about the same amount of revenue. And uh, when we compare Apple's uh, App Store into the mix, we see which one's doing uh, nominally, which one should we view as nominal. And it turns out we should view Windows as nominal because uh, iOS has about five times more market share than Windows Phone, and they're performing about six times better revenue-wise. So this really is damning for Google Play that they're just not pulling in uh, revenue. They're not and, monetizing properly. And to think that Google Play is probably the, their, and I don't have numbers in front of me right now, but probably their number two stream after advertising. That, that, that says something about Google and their attempts to try to get into other areas and create other revenue streams. They're yeah, I would, I would imagine able... it's up there somewhere. I don't know if it's number two, but it's got to be up there because we're talking about, you know, at this point, billions of devices that you know, not all of them are using the standard fork of Android that Google supplies. So again, not all of them are on the Google services, but a vast majority of Android devices are, and they're all going to be linked into Google Play uh, as an obligation of using that operating system. It, it, it just shows that I think Google, they do one thing very well and everything else, they're still trying to figure it out. But that everything else is really large. So they're working on self-driving cars. Um, I, I guess I could argue that they do maps pretty well. They do it much better than, than Apple. Um, so driving cars, maps, uh, the um, Google Glass. Is there some type of, and, and Google Now, the, the uh, Siri and Cortana competitor uh, of Google Now, what really what is the focus of Google? Where is Google moving in the next, I don't know, one to five years? You can almost say if, if Google's thought process is innovation, they're making the right moves. They're, they're looking to innovate. They're not necessarily looking at creating effective business models for everything they're producing, um, which from a tech standpoint is awesome because you want a company with the resources that a Google has to innovate, to look for the next thing, to be willing to take you know, the risk and, you know, not everything is going to work the first time around or the second time or the third time around. So from an innovation standpoint, you like seeing a company with Google's resources making these attempts at different things. Uh, financially, it's not always going to pan out, though. Well, it can also create ill will with the consumer. So um, I, I know a, a good handful of business people who still look back at something like Google Wave. Uh, Google acquired some software uh, some cloud software back in the day, and they turned it into Google Wave, which was this cloud collaboration, uh, project management kind of hybrid area. It, it wasn't super project management like you'd buy dedicated software for. It was chat and video conference and taking notes and moving something along. And when they when they didn't create a business model around it, like Google does so frequently with so many uh, different projects, 
they said, well, we're going to end that service and we're going to wrap portions of it into something else. And when they did that, I mean, I again, I still know people in the business community who are are a little bit uh, chapped either by that or some other thing that Google has done of here's this great product. We're innovating the the consumer or the business user thinks it's the innovation of, you know, the decade or the innovation that their business needs. And then Google all of a sudden says, yeah, but we're not going to put our full support behind it, and we're not sure it's going to be able to be monetized, so we're going to pull the plug completely. Uh, that 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 hurts. So when we look at Google's strength, it's, it's search, it's information, it's knowledge management. They have their finger on the pulse of innovation, but the weakness may be that they have the world. They have the majority, the majority of devices that are shipped today, over two-thirds of all devices if we took all form factors combined, phone, tablet, laptop, everything combined, over two-thirds of those that are shipped and purchased today on the planet run Android. They are they, they should be the default king of this conversation, but their weaknesses are so large that they're not able to they're not able to capitalize on their own strength. And that's that's a little bit concerning. It is. Um, we should probably move on to Apple now. And I think what's interesting about Apple is whereas you look at Windows, again, Mac, you look at Google advertising. Apple is the one of these three companies who's really undergone a metamorphosis, a, a change in what they used to be. If you go back a decade ago, uh, when they were nearly, I mean, there, there was thought that Apple was really going to go, you know, extinct on us. Uh, you know, and Steve Jobs came back as CEO at the beginning of the 2000s. Right. They had 30 days before bankruptcy. They were bankrupt. And so the, uh, the folks who had control of the company handed it back to Steve. They acquired his other company next and uh, said, here you go. Good luck. You've got and, about a month. And, and the company at that time, uh, I want to say, and again, not having numbers in front of me, I want to say probably about 60%, if not more, of their revenue was Macs. It was Mac-driven company at that point, and, and driving. Into oh yeah, the at that point, it, yeah, it was a lot higher than than sixty percent at that it, point. It might have been seventy, even yeah. seventy-five. I, yeah. I mean, it, it was high. It was definitely a high number. Again, I, I'm, you know, exact years I don't have in front of me, but uh, it was a Mac-based company. If you look at Apple's revenue today, and I, I saw a number recently, I want to say, you know, something like Macs only account for maybe. 12% or 10% of their revenue. So just think about that. In a decade, Apple went from 75%, let's say, of their revenue being max. Today, 10% of their revenue is max. And of course, the obvious question is, well, what's the revenue from now? And it is from iPad. It is iPhone. Uh, they you know, had such a fast-growing uh, market share of the mobile market with with iPhone and iPad and of course the app stores. Um, you know, here, here's a company that really is not the same company they were a decade ago when it comes to where they're making their money from. Yeah, you know, there's there's a weird connection between Apple and the Walt Disney Company. So I'm gonna make another obscure reference between these two companies. Um, you know, Walt Disney Company likes to say. Or they have that quote, you know, never forget it was all started by a mouse. I think Apple should have a similar quote that says, never forget it was all restarted by iTunes. And when when Apple was about to go bankrupt, they looked everywhere for capital infusion, even to Microsoft. Uh, micro, uh, Microsoft gave Apple money to stay in business. This is how close to going out of business Apple was. They were done. 
the the problem was at that point the split between Windows PCs and OS X, or uh, I think they were they were still using system software then, because remember they didn't buy Next, which is where OS X came from, uh, until they brought Steve Jobs back. So the system software, which was the Mac OS of the past, had three percent or less market share. This really was, Apple was done. They partially, we have to think about this, the iPhone, the iPad, iTunes, the iPod, all of these things partially exist from $150 million that were arranged between Bill Gates and Steve Jobs for Microsoft to give Apple money to stay in business so that the U.S. Department of Justice did not break Microsoft up uh, as, as a monopoly. That 3% market share was enough for Apple to say, give us money. We, we need money. We, you want us to stay in business. Um, and so this the spirit of innovation that when Steve Jobs came back, uh, just completely changing the computing world and saying, we're moving from this former system that we use called system software, and we're going to be Unix-based, and we're going to create OS X, and we're going to move on, and we're going to focus on music and entertainment and all of these different areas where Steve Jobs was focusing uh, after he was kicked out of Apple, right? He focused on the company Next for uh, workstation computers, focusing on Unix. He were, was working with Pixar. Uh, that's a connection that originally existed between Apple and Disney. But innovation seems to be there. But we also said innovation existed within Google. So I think the big question becomes, what's the tangible difference that we can see between Google's open innovation and the problems we talked about and Apple's closed innovation. Apple's a very closed system, always has been. Their operating system, their devices, the entire gamut of their services and and products. Is there a tangible difference where Apple gets a benefit or a drawback from having this closed system as opposed to Google or someone else with an open system? Yeah, I I think, you know, Apple, you know, I think they kind of play their cards close to the vest on some things. Uh, and I think it does play advantage. I also just look at it in terms of, of Google has, I'm trying to think of the right term without being insulted to Google. I think Google's kind of uh, made missteps along the way, whereas right now there's this idea that, you know, whatever Apple touches turns to gold. And, uh, and it, it, it builds confidence. So you want to give Apple... The benefit of a doubt. But remember, uh, that's just as incorrect as when we talked about Microsoft not being able to do anything right. Yeah. Uh, that Apple, everything turning to gold is just as incorrect right. because... It's totally incorrect. Yeah, they but lost again, 50% market share of tablets within the first year. They they were 100% of tablets when they released the first modern form of tablet, the iPad, in 2010. By late 2011, they had lost 50% of that market share. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's always, and, and we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, it's always that public perception versus what's the actual reality of the business. And that, again, it goes back to the public perception of Apple and, and you know, iPhone and iPad and this whole idea that, and I, I don't want to get into a mobile battle here because that could be a whole other show we probably will have in the future. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but there, there is that never ending, you know, oh, it, it's the iPhone. Okay, well, you know, my Samsung does this and this and, and, and yeah, but I have an iPhone. Okay, but look at what mine does. Yeah, but this is an iPhone. You know, there's that whole kind of uh, that brand that, allegiance. 
if you put an I in front of it, it somehow is superior to all. <laughs> right. And so if anybody out there is listening and using an iPhone, you have to understand from a technical point of view, when we look at almost any iPhone that's ever been released, and we're talking about the newest, we're not talking about when when they um, you know deprecate a version and say, all right, now this is our lower cost model. We're talking about a new iPhone. At any given time, an iPhone is not a high-end device uh, from the technical point of view. Maybe from a branding or a prestige point of view, sure, but from a technical point of view, Apple has always made mid-range phones or somewhere thereabout a mid-range phone. And uh, that's one thing that consumers don't get. So if we take all of this information, Christopher, if we take consumer sentiment and the stuff we know behind the scenes in media and in technology, let's play a little game and talk about where we see each of these three companies in five years. And let's go reverse order. Uh, remember, this is recorded, so we're going to be able to listen to this in a matter of years and uh, and uh, see if we were right or not. Where is Apple in five years? I think in five years, um, I see Apple actually maybe uh, reverting back a little bit, getting getting more back to the Mac, and that that might even be their their slogan. I might have just helped them out with a slogan. Get back to Mac. Get back to Mac. I can see them saying, you know what, we, we've worked the mobile device, we've worked the phones, we've, we've got the, 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 you know, the whole idea of us being the entertainment tech company. Right. I actually see them kind of reverting back and trying to figure out, okay, how do we make the Mac the choice of the computer and, and, and the tech world again? That so makes I, sense. I say back to Mac. The Mac is under 8% market share in the PC and laptop space, so that's perfectly plausible. What about, uh, what about Google? Google's interesting. Um, it, it's hard to predict. It, you know, again, I see them continuing to be the you know the Kleenex of search engines, uh, obviously, and advertising will continue to be their their main revenue driver. But at some point, you know, one of these innovations, Google Glass, what have you, is going to hit and is going to skyrocket. It's just a matter of which will it be and when will it happen, and will they be able to effectively cement their standing with it without having Microsoft or Apple or somebody else take the idea and make a superior version. I was laughing when you said they're the Kleenex of the search world, and I, I, I want to point out, in case somebody missed that, we're talking about name brandability, so Kleenex or Xerox, right, becoming a generic name. Um, there's one way of interpreting that to where they're the Kleenex of the uh, search industry, <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, that's not exactly what we mean. We may call them the Charmin if, if we meant that other thing. Uh <laughs> So finally, Microsoft. It's so interesting because the one area where Microsoft always comes through is in their software. Um, you know, I think about the fact that you can have the most vehement, you know, Apple soldier out there. You know, Apple, Apple, Apple. When it comes down to it, they're going to have Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel and PowerPoint on their MacBook or on their computer. Um, right, because if they're using if they're using i uh, iWork, you know, Pages and Keynote and all that, wow, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you don't you don't use a stone to make a fire when you have a lighter right next to you. you exactly. Know? So um, I see Microsoft continuing to be you know. That that stalwart software company, um, and again, I, I see them trucking along. I don't see major changes in how Microsoft makes their money or does their business. I kind of see them almost as being old, reliable, uh, in, in a comforting way 
for uh, for the tech world. And it seems like their new CEO, Satya Nadella, it seems like he wants to go back to that software, 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 and how do we make the enterprise happy? And uh, if we can do that, then consumers can be happy too. Uh, Christopher, thank you for joining me. I look forward to uh, seeing you again in a couple of episodes and having you back on for a new topic. Uh, thanks for joining me today on Microsoft, Apple, and Google. For the listeners out there, give us some feedback. Feedback at multinewmedia.com or check out our website, multinewmedia.com, and select on the community tab to get all the different ways to contact us. I'll be back in a few moments to give my take on these three companies. But again, I just want to end with Christopher. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, and I'll be back soon. And finally for this episode, here is Chase Raz giving his take on the present position of Microsoft, Google, and Apple. If your options were limited, and you had to ask me and me alone about the three companies that Christopher and I discussed today, Microsoft, Google, and Apple. And if your question related to which of these companies truly had the momentum going forward, I'd answer Microsoft. I see excitement around the next wave of Microsoft innovation, more so than with virtually any other technology company right now. Windows 10 is eagerly expected on desktop and laptop computers, with millions of people already registered to use the Windows 10 technical preview. On phones, the conversion from Windows Phone to Windows 10 is moving at a slightly slower pace, complicated by the extremely small market share of Windows on phones, uh, also by Microsoft's acquisition of Nokia and of temperamental support of previous Windows phones from industry OEMs like Acer, Samsung, Lenovo, and so on. Now, Windows 10 brings a new experience to consumers. It finally appeases businesses that were unhappy with Windows 8 and Windows 8.1, and for the first time ever, stands to really unify developers around one common goal, the universal app, which can be written once and deployed across the entire range of devices and form factors. This doesn't even touch on the astounding success of the Azure Cloud Platform from Microsoft, nor that of Office 365, which has been the most successful cloud software release ever. Sure, Apple has the Apple Watch coming out, and a bunch of buzz about possibly entering into the electric car or self-driving car arena. But Tesla solidly owns the electric car space, while giving up just enough room to keep the American, Japanese, and Korean automakers involved. And with Google having a virtual lock on AI-driven autonomous self-driving car technology, well, there's not much room for Apple. Rumor has it that Apple has sacrificed features from the Apple Watch as well. Meanwhile, Microsoft has had a fitness and communications wearable on the market for months, without even really promoting it much, and at just over half the price of what the Apple Watch is expected to start at. Apple's low on innovation. Apple Pay is just NFC payments with some corporate support thrown behind it. 
The Apple Car is not even worth talking about yet, even though it might someday actually exist, although I'm still thinking not on that one. And back to the Apple Watch, no matter how much of a market success it will or won't be, it's still just another Me Too from Apple that's too little, too late, and that will probably not have one feature that the existing wearable competitors couldn't easily adopt in their upcoming models, or worse, even retroactively adopt in their existing watches or wearables via firmware updates. Now Google, on the other hand, they're strong. But as Microsoft learned before them, nobody can dominate market share for long in the tech world. After talking with Christopher today, I took a look back at Google's financial statements from the past several years. Over 90% of all of their revenues are directly from advertising. I couldn't even find where Google itemizes out revenue sources such as Google Play and Google Glass. And honestly, I doubt they even publish that information. But if it's out there, if you know of it, I'd love to see it if you know how to come about it. Google Glass is on hiatus because it simply wasn't ready for prime time. 1500 US dollars for a device with about 4 hours of battery life, poor developmental support, and very few killer applications. All that just to have the privilege of being called a glass hole. Really? $1,500 for that? And of constantly being accused of recording people without permission, or worse, being a technological voyeur. Microsoft seems to have a much better handle on augmented and virtual reality with their HoloLens prototype that tech professionals and journalists alike are raving about after getting the chance to try one out. I know I would love to try one of these or one of Sony's prototypes as we talked about a couple of episodes ago. I think Microsoft and Sony really have the competitive edge here. Now I see it like this. We think that consumers just hate Microsoft because of their missteps and because the iMac is seen on virtually every television show these days, really unless Microsoft is paying to have the Surface featured. And even then, it's still common to see MacBooks running right alongside the Surface. In the real world, people actually still love Windows. Even the folks who abandoned it during its darker days of vulnerability, or then again with the confused messages of that touch-first paranoid phase, these people still have fond memories of Windows, and they tend to be a bit distraught that they had to leave it all behind. OS X and even Linux have never been that near and dear to people's hearts. Brains, absolutely, but not hearts. Windows, when steered properly by Microsoft, is simple. It's comfortable. It's familiar. And Microsoft may have finally learned how to improve it without pissing everyone off. Call me a fanboy, although I'm anything but. I, much like Christopher, have used products and services from all three of these companies today, and even some from a few beyond this list. But when it comes to momentum, it's Microsoft's ball. And the crowd may not yet be cheering. In fact, the crowd is probably still pin-drop quiet from the shock of the last few plays. But hearts are pounding, and even the fans of the opposing team can look out across the field and know that Microsoft deserves to score on this drive. The work they've done is just that good. You can even forget Windows and the same is true because Microsoft and of these three companies Microsoft alone has recognized that I'll never give up my other devices whether it's a MacBook or whether it's an Android phone and Microsoft has come to terms with the fact that we shouldn't be made to. If you want Office on your Mac, fine. What about Office on your Android phone? Great. Meanwhile, Apple and Google keep clinging on to themselves, 
refusing to develop for Windows, and sometimes refusing to develop for each other despite their formerly intimate relationship. Oh well, these are just my thoughts and professional opinions, but now it's your turn. Visit multinewmedia.com and interact with us. Post in the episode 3 comment section and let us know your view. And be sure to click on the community tab and see all the ways to connect with us here at Multinew Media. Until next week. So, now that the show is over, I have a bone to pick with Chase. He isn't letting me on the show as frequently as I thought he would, so I've taken to doing voice work elsewhere. Would you like to hear a sample? Okay, here it goes. This is me voice acting the character of Porky Pig. That uh, that uh, that's all folks. Be honest, how did you like it? As your new AI overlord. I expect you to give me great reviews and to convince Chase to have me on air more often. Simply doing segment intros is getting old pretty fast. Go to facebook.com slash Chase Raz and tell Chase to feature me more on the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I have for this week. Until next time, take care.